0: Welcome to Lambs to Lions. You're listening to the weekly podcast with Pastor Matt Funk.
1: Well, welcome to Jurassic Park. Um, I'm so excited to get to share this message with you guys that's based on one of my favorite movies. Um, It's such a cool movie. You think about like dinosaurs being brought to life and so the very first clip that I show is it's kind of an iconic moment where the paleontologists that have been asked to come to this island they see dinosaurs for the very first time and you can just see the look of amazement on their faces like they're just blown away and so we're introduced to some of our main characters here Um, we have Dr. Alan Grant who is a paleontologist, Um, Dr. Ellie Sattler who is a paleobotanist and Dr. Ian Malcolm, who's a chaotician. And they've all been called to this island by a man man named John Hammond. So he's actually the owner of this island. He's the visionary behind the theme park, Jurassic Park. And he owns um, a genetic engineering company that figured out a way to create these incredible creatures. And so they've been called to the island because somebody died and they have to do a safety check. And so they don't really know what they're getting into until they get there and that moment when they see those dinosaurs in real life. They see this giant Brachiosaurus. He's just like eating at the plants and they're pretty blown away. And I think it's a kind of special moment when you really think about that, that they spent their lives looking at the fossils and the bones of these creatures and these extinct plants and then to see a living being dinosaur in front of them that would be pretty amazing and so they're just so blown away by it they've got such a like kind of childlike excitement and wonder in them and you can see it in John Hammond too um, the owner of the island as he kind of experiences it through them and how excited they are but you also get a bit of a different reaction from another character who's along for the ride and his name is um, Donald Gennaro and he kind of like whispers under his breath when he sees everything, like, we're going to make a fortune. We're going to make so much money. And he kind of gives you that attitude that there's there's some underlying greed and pride that's going to play a pretty big part in this movie. And we will see that unfold, but we'll get to that a little bit later. In this moment, though, they're just, they're so blown away looking at this kind of idyllic picture of these beautiful Dinosaurs walking out of the water, it looks like such a yeah beautiful, perfect place, but we know that it's not going to stay that way for long and that's kind of where I tie things in with my message, looking at the beginning of our world and how things were perfect, but they took a turn for the worse
0: Any Jurassic Park fans in the house yeah 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 i uh I was only four years old when that movie came out and uh, I was born in Mexico and there were about 20 years behind. So it didn't actually come out there until 2013. No, just kidding. Just kidding. I just didn't have a TV growing up. So I was introduced to Jurassic Park through my wife, uh, Pastor Steph, and she is a huge Jurassic Park uh, nerd. She's not listening to this podcast. It's for men only. So I can say stuff like that. Uh, No, just kidding. But I did want to show you guys a picture. Uh, 10 years ago on our honeymoon, we got to go to Hawaii and uh, I have a picture of us. This is us 10 years ago at the uh, Jurassic Park filming site. And uh, because she loved Jurassic Park, she grew up, you know, watching all the movies. And the first movie is her favorite one, and you'll hear all about that later. But I thought it was really cool how they kept a lot of the the big uh, footprints from the dinosaurs. And you see the little log that we're standing by. That's the one where all the little, uh, the dinosaurs jump over in the one scene. And yeah, it's just, it was really special for her. So it was really cool that we got to do that on our honeymoon. But how does this all tie into... The Word of God. That's what we're here to discuss. So we're going to be talking uh, about the book of Genesis because a lot of the, the things that happen in this movie, if you look at the parallels between, you know, the Garden of Eden and the fall and what happens in this first movie of Jurassic Park, there's a lot of parallels that can be drawn from this. So I wanted to talk about the seed of sin, the seed of sin. And that's my message title for this morning. And if you have your Bibles or your, your iPhones, turn with me to Genesis chapter three, because that's where we're going to be reading out of. But yeah, this clip reminds me of the Garden of Eden um, before the fall. But even in all of its beauty in this clip that we just watched and the childlike response from some of them, you can tell others are already plotting with greedy intentions, looking at what they can gain. We can make a lot of money. And that's the line that stood out to me in that whole clip was, we're gonna make a fortune with this place. That's a Donald Guerrero. So today, like I said, I wanna talk about the seed of sin and how it seems that humans are weak when it comes to the promise of gain, even if the consequences are severe. So this is the origin story of the fall of man found in Genesis three, Genesis one and two explain the creation of the world. And then God has just looked down on his whole creation and seeing it, as the Bible says, very good. In Genesis 2, he has given Adam the permission to eat from every tree except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So before we go any further, let's jump into Genesis 3 and uh, read through the whole chapter to give us some context. All right, so... (laughs) the verse that I wanted to start off with is the very first verse in Genesis chapter three. Excuse me. And it says this, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? So my first point for you guys, if you have the notes and the blanks is doubt is half the battle. Doubt is half the battle. And I looked up the word doubt and we hear it all the time, but the thing that stood out to me in reading the definition of of doubt is it's a feeling of uncertainty or lack of conviction. The Cambridge Dictionary describes it as a feeling, not being certain about something, especially about how good or how true it is. So neglecting or doubting God's word is one of the first steps the enemy takes to make us question our purpose. And what stood out to me here, reading through this story again, is the enemy approaches Eve. And you guys already kind of addressed this, but God gave the instruction to not eat from the tree before she was even created but instead of approaching the man who received the command directly from God, he approaches the woman who received the command secondhand. How often are we attacked because we don't take the time to see what the word actually says because it just becomes like the game of telephone. I played this with my kids the other day and it is hilarious what comes out of the other end of that telephone. You could say one thing and by the time it comes out there but isn't that just like like us god says it to adam well adam may not have you know completely accurately have described it to eve maybe he did either way what does the enemy do he goes to the person that didn't receive it directly from god but again instead of verifying it instead of confirming she just falls right into the enemy's trap, but the enemy's clever that way and that's what he'll do. And that's why it is so important to know for ourselves without a shadow of a doubt what the word of God says. Yes, God has given us leaders and pastors, but like Pastor Matt says all the time, go and read for yourself what the word says. Don't just take our word for it because we're only human as well. So it's important that we get into the word of God ourselves daily so that we know what it says about us, our families and our circumstances. The second thing I learned reading through this again is don't engage in conversation with the devil. Rebuke him. Never once does it say, well, go ahead and have a conversation and let's see where this goes. No, he's clever. We know we have the victory through Christ, but we're still human. And the devil devil is a clever liar. So don't engage in conversation with him. Rebuke him. It says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. But the moment we start engaging and well, this, this. As soon as we allow him in and give him any type of foothold, we're on losing ground. Rebuke him, resist him, get him out of there. Because it becomes a lot harder to resist him once he starts having a conversation with you. But in the story, we know that the serpent keeps the conversation going. He says, you will not surely die. Well, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Knowing the consequences of sin makes it easier to pass on the pleasures of sin. I'd encourage you to write that down. Knowing the consequences of sin makes it easier to pass on the pleasures of sin. The enemy wants us to think that the consequences won't be that severe. The Bible, however, says that the wages of sin is death. That sounds pretty severe to me. That's a severe consequence. And the thing is the fruit often looks the same to us. I would imagine even the forbidden fruit probably look just as edible to Eve as the fruit from all the other trees. But the fallout is very different when we choose to partake in the fruit that we know is forbidden. And this is where the enemy knows he can try and manipulate us because there is little power and temptation unless it is laced with a little bit of truth unless it's laced with just a little bit of truth. If we know without a shadow of a doubt, this is wrong, that's one thing, but if there's a little bit of truth in it, it becomes easier to justify it. But I wanna encourage you, the enemy's tactics never change. Once we learn to recognize his tactics, it becomes a lot easier to resist him. And the three tactics that he uses with Eve right from the start are the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes and the pride of life. We see that right away. So when the woman saw, so Eve surrendered to this temptation in exactly the way that John describes. First, she gave into the lust of the flesh. She saw that it was good for food. Then she gave into the lust of the eyes. It says pleasant to the eyes. And then she gave into the pride of life, desirable to make one wise. See, the thing is, I think Eve actually believed that she was doing something good for herself. But the word says for the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. That's 1 John 2, 16 to 17. Let's watch clip two to set us up for the rest of the message.
1: All right, so this next clip that um, I show is the infamous lunch scene. So it starts off with John Hammond talking about um, the park and all the attractions and just how incredible it all is and something, it's a phrase that comes up quite often in the movie that he says is we spared no expense. And you can tell there's there's an underlying kind of hint of pride in his voice and Donald Gennaro, he's there as well and he's talking about how we can charge as much money as we want because people will pay thousands of dollars per entry just to see these creatures and Um, John Hammond is he says well you know what like well I want everybody to be able to experience this and so Donald Gennaro is like well we'll have a coupon day like and they both kind of just laugh about it but yeah you can really sense that pride and that lack of humility and Dr. Ian Malcolm speaks up and he kind of speaks into that and so I'm gonna read his quote here because I think it's really powerful. So he says, the problem with the scientific power you're wielding is that it didn't require any discipline to obtain it. You read what others had done, and you took the next step. You didn't earn the knowledge for yourselves, so you didn't take any responsibility for it. You stood on the shoulders of geniuses to accomplish something as fast as you could, and before you even knew what you had, you patented it, packaged it, and slapped it on a plastic lunchbox, and now you're selling it wow, there's there's a lot there. I feel like that even in itself will preach. But he finishes off this scene with saying that the founders of the park were so preoccupied with whether or not they could create something like this that they didn't stop for a moment to think if they should. And I think that's such a powerful phrase. And it's something that we're going to dig a little bit more deeper into as we continue on.
0: Yeah, that preaches on its own. Uh, Point number two is the seed of sin grows best in the dark. The seed of sin grows best in the dark. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord among the trees. That's verse eight. So Adam and Eve sought prosperity in the form of knowledge by eating the forbidden fruit. Yet here they are hiding from God. And I believe hiding our sins is actually a form of pride. It's like we're too afraid to confess out of fear of what people might think of us if they found out what we had really done or what was really going on. Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Proverbs twenty eight thirteen. I love what Ian Malcolm says in in the clip here. It says, the lack of humility before nature that is being displayed here staggers me. See, Ian Malcolm sees the greedy, prideful intentions here in the clip we just watched. And it's all driven by a drive for prosperity, this desire for prosperity. And what's interesting here is the parallel back to Adam and Eve. See, Ian Malcolm points out that they didn't work for the knowledge they have, but they are taking it for themselves anyway. That's exactly what happened to Adam and Eve. They took the fruit of knowledge freely, but without permission. See, both stories are driven by a desire for personal gain, for wisdom, for knowledge, for power. See, before we can prosper, we need to be honest with ourselves about our intentions and not be too proud to admit that maybe our intentions may not be approved by God. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then... After desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. James 1, 14 and 15. Point number three, my choice equals my consequences. My choice equals my consequence. And to the man, he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, The ground is cursed because of you. All your life, you will struggle to scratch a living from it. Verse 17. See, we cannot blame our choices or our consequences on anybody but ourselves. The good news, there is a man who took all of our consequences and all of our choices and he nailed them to the cross. Without that message, without the end, This would be a pretty depressing story. But good thing we live in a time where we know the end of the story. We know that we have the freedom, we have the victory because of a man named Jesus Christ. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. See, Christ alone is our mediator. But... Just because he died for our sins does not give us the freedom to keep on sinning. Well, then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Romans 6 1 2. The takeaway that I have for you guys is sin might grow in the dark, but truth is revealed in the light. Choose light. Choose light. You know, the word says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The, pra- the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective, James 5 to 6, uh, 5, 16. So I believe that even though we as men, oftentimes we struggle and we, we struggle to share what we're really feeling or what's really going on. And it can be a real battle to open up But when we do and we bring those things out because that sin will just keep breeding in the dark, but we need to let it out. We need to confess it to each other because in that there is healing, there's power. When that truth comes out into the light, it sets us free and it allows other men to be aware of what we're going through so that they can step in and help us through those hard times. We can't keep hiding our sin in the dark. We need to let it out into the light. That's why we have prayer on Tuesday mornings so that we can pray for one another. Last week, 20, 20 men showed up to men's prayer last week on Tuesday. And look at everybody here today. This is a prime example of getting together around other godly men, encouraging and building each other up, confessing our sins to one another. But that takes relationship, not just with each other, but with Jesus. It takes trust. If that's you here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I would encourage you, is there anybody here that does have a relationship with Jesus? Put your hand up. Would you you ever say you've regretted making that decision? Never. Has it always been easy? No, it hasn't always been easy. But do I regret? No, I. it's the best decision I've ever made in my life. It's been harder than before, but I know the reward waiting at the end of this life far outweighs anything I can go through here. So I want to give you that opportunity to, to, to get into a group like this where men have relationship with each other, but also with Jesus. And if that's you here today, you're welcome here. But I'd encourage you to take that next step and invite Jesus to be the center of your life. There is power in being in the family of God and to be in a relationship with Jesus. So if that's you, just bow your head with me, close your eyes and say, let's just pray this all together. Even if you've prayed it before, say, dear Jesus, I admit that I've messed up. I admit that I've failed. I admit that I've sinned, but I'm tired of trying to do it on my own. I invite you into my life now. I invite you to be Lord of my life. I believe that you died on the cross for every sin I ever committed. And you rose again on the third day. And in you, we have victory. Today is a new day now. With you, right here, right now. Jesus name amen just keep your eyes closed and your heads bowed if that was you and you just made that decision to to come and join the family of God the Bible says there's a party going on in heaven but I want you to just raise your hand up if that was you made that decision today for the very first time or if that was you and you said, hey, I've been living this, but I've been lukewarm. I don't wanna be lukewarm anymore. Today was a rededication of my faith, a declaration that I'm all in for Jesus. Just shoot your hand up. We wanna celebrate. The Bible says, even if one returns, there's a party going on in heaven. And uh, thank you. There is power in confession. And we confess Jesus as, as Lord here in this house. and. I'm going to pass it off now to Pastor Matt because he's going to give us the next step for baptism. We do this every single service, whether we're here in the morning or 4.30 in the afternoon. And we're going to sing one more worship song, but thank you guys for listening to the word.
2: Let's give it up for the word of God again this morning. Wow. That's what it's about. It's about the transformation. It's about life change. And um, I think there's a lot of us that were processing a lot of God's word this morning as it was speaking truth to us and revealing things in us that we could work on. But that's the good news. We don't have to do it alone. We've got God and we've got one another. And so at any time, just so you guys know, I'm always available too if you need someone to talk to and confess what's going on in your life. But we also have our brothers on our right and our left. So, Baptism, Wow. We were convicted a while ago, years ago, actually. Just when you read the Bible and you see transformation and life change salvation, you see baptism. And we are commissioned by our Lord and Savior, Jesus, to go into all the world, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching others to obey his commands, and surely he is with us always. There's always a process in our walk with God. And so if that's you today and you haven't been baptized yet and you're like, well, I'd like to do that. What's that about? let me tell you. Paul said in Romans 6, it says that when we are baptized, we are buried with Christ. We're baptized with him. It represents when he went to the grave and we come up out of the water, it says that you are resurrected with Christ. The word baptism in the Greek simply means to be fully immersed, all in, fully immersed. And if some of us would just be honest, if we'd all be honest with ourselves for just a moment, there's probably seasons where we haven't been all in for God. And so if that's you and you just like to come forward and step in, we'd be honored to do that with you. I'll be standing aside as we worship. And uh, we've got, yeah, we'll get the strong men to lift that lid inside this stage. And right at the front, we purpose to put it right up the front is our baptism tank. We fill it with faith every week. And every week we see somebody come whether it's in the men's service, whether it's in the 10.30 service, whether it's in the four o'clock service, whether if they show up in the church during the week, there's a place that they can be baptized right here in this house. So could we stand to our feet, men? Let's worship God.